we've been talking about truth. Uh, what constitutes truth. And our culture uh, is divided into two quadrants when it comes to truth. And if you're a, a baby boomer or around that age or a little older, uh, you, you're having a hard time processing people that don't understand things that are just logically valid that you've accepted all of your life. That's because they uh, don't view truth as you view truth. Uh, they have what would be called classically a coherent view of truth. So if you have a coherent view of truth in our culture, that means truth is true by definition of what your little group says. So whatever your group says, so if this was a group and they all believed that those chairs weren't really there, to them it's true. We over here, analyzing this group, would say, we're going to pray for you <laughs> because those chairs are really there, right? And then if this group said, well, we feel we are the chair. Did <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We would be looking at them and going, we're going to really pray for you. Um, but that's our culture, a coherent view of truth. Whatever your group says is ipso facto true. This leads to absolute chaos, politically, morally, educationally. If nothing is absolutely true, you form truth based on what you feel it to be true, uh, then this is detrimental to, to the entire culture. And those in those little groups are really interesting because they all scream for tolerance of their viewpoint. And then when their group gets really big, they kind of forget about the concept of tolerance and persecute the people in the other groups. This is the culture that we believe in. So I, I pay attention to it all the time. It, it, it just absolutely amazes me uh, that people can believe things that are just, you got to be kidding me. So uh, one particular group gets together today and they actually think that a man can have a baby. Huh? And it's hard to process that one. How in the world can a man have a baby? Does the man have the components, not to get into the details, but does he have the components to have a baby? No, no. So a person can say all day long that a man can have a baby, but it, and you could be extremely emotional about it, passionate about it, use all kinds of rhetoric about it, but that a level of any of that doesn't make it true. Why? Because it doesn't correspond to the facts. The facts don't even anywhere come near saying that a man can have a baby. Uh, they also think that a woman can become a man. Really? I read an article this week. I found absolutely, it was shocking and amusing at the same time. Uh, it said that they've done a study now that trans women, who are really men, who've transitioned into, thank you, um, who, who've transitioned uh, to, to be a man, uh, have greater muscle mass than women. Did you hear me? This is shocking to some people. I'm looking at it going, no, they're men. Men are stronger than women. Why? That's how God made them. Their muscle mass is stronger. Men, aren't you stronger than your wives? <laughs> See, they're not even talking now. They're like, I don't want to ruin my marriage at this point. <laughs> but just things like that, it's like... <laughs> what what I miss? <laughs> Phil, just to let you know, my, they talk to me during the service. It just totally throws me off. So I must have missed something good over here. We'll talk later. Um, uh, one group thinks that all religions are the same. There's nothing un unique about any of them. Uh, some believe that all love is love, which sounds really great and compassionate and kind. But if all love is love, then that means all forms of what someone says it's love by their little group, which means there's no way by de definition you would ever know what perversion is. Why? Hey, all love is love, man. Sounds like I've gone back into the 60s. <laughs> but anyway, such is the world in which I live, and you live as a Christian, and that particular viewpoint is, is called the coherence view of truth. I don't buy it. Why? It doesn't match the facts. It defies facts. So what am I supposed to do as a Christian in a culture like that? I am supposed to present the facts. I'm supposed to speak for truth. 
Uh, I had a, a prisoner ask me, or tell me last week that one of our prisoners recently moved away uh, south of us here. I won't name the city, but it's still in the state of Virginia, not too many miles away. Um, and uh, they, they, it's, you know, picking a church. And so they wanted to find something like our church. And so they showed up at this church and the church got a new pastor. Uh, and they're sitting there, you know, oh, this is interesting, you know, new pastor, this could be good. Uh, and the new pastor uh, let the church know on the very first Sunday, uh, that pastor held up the Bible and said, just want to let you know, uh, as I'm the shepherd here, we won't be needing this book anymore. <coughs> if I did that on a given Sunday, what would happen? A riot. I would be unemployed. The stage would be full of people. They would be exhorting me, accosting me, admonish me, right? Like, what happened to you? That's what the pastor did. And the church just sat there. You have to ask yourself, you know, <laughs> you're called to be a shepherd to teach the word of God. Amen. If you put the word of God on the shelf, God's going to put you on the shelf. It's just, I'm just sorry. I'm just, it's what's going to happen. Uh, and so, but how does the pastor have that viewpoint? Well, I'm sure that pastor does not stand alone. There's a lot of pastors who probably think as a current little group, why do we need the Bible? So old and antiquated, puritanical, and it bothers people. So we can't grow a church with that. Well, I would say you can't grow a church without it. But anyway, back to my sermon. Uh, a culture that believes in truths with a little T, and everybody's truth, even though it's diametrically opposed to the other version's truth, uh, it's, it's completely balkanized, split, fractured, and it leads by definition to chaos. What are we watching today? That. That's what we're watching. Um, I don't know how you feel about Aristotle. Reading him in the morning is totally exhilarating. Um, but he, did, he has said many interesting things. He's like the man of logic. Here's what he says about truth. And I, I, I have this here for you to read because it's, I think you should memorize this. What does he say? You ready? To say what is that it is not or what is not that it is, is false. To say what is that it is. Oh, you have to go back a slide. I don't have it memorized. <laughs> that was just an idea. These people back here, that, they're listening to God. Okay. But to say what is that it is and what is not that it is not is true, right? Now we can switch to the next. Thank you. Uh, so that he who says anything that is or that is not will either say what is true or what is false. Huh? How, how many of you read that and it leads to a huh for you? Yeah. But you've got to think about it. If, I, if this section tells you that those chairs aren't there, is that true? No, why? Chairs are there. If this section says the chairs are there, praise God, hallelujah, I got a chair. And those chairs, by the way, I think they're rated for 1,200 pounds. So you got it covered. I'm just saying. We checked into these things as we went along. That chair is there, and that's not going anywhere. Why? Because the facts say it's there. This group that's thinking, I am a chair. Well, this is insane because they're saying something that is not as if it is, therefore it is false. See, that's what Aristotle is talking about. So you constantly need to read people that are kind of a little bit past you, that make you stop and go, huh, to stretch your thinking. Anyway, I submit to you, uh, Aristotle. Uh, what did he basically say? Uh, well, he taps into what Francis Schaeffer is going to say later. He's going to call truth true truth. Because people can have their version of truth, but it's not really true because it doesn't match the facts. Uh, or he can, he can look at true truth, which is really true because it corresponds to the facts. So what is the other view of, of truth? Well, the first one's coherence view of truth, and it's totally tenuous. The other one is correspondence view to truth. Uh, is there a keyboard on the stage? Yes. I see one. How do you know it's there? 
These are easy questions. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, how, do you, how do you know it's ontologically there? I can see it. Uh, I, could, I could touch it. I could scratch it. I could bite it. I could kick it. I could, I could turn it on. And I took 10 years of piano, so I could play it. Wow, there's, this is not even here, and it's making music. It's amazing. No, it's really there because it corresponds to the facts that it's there. So what's going on in our, in our culture? We're constantly being lied to that this coherence view is the compassionate view. No, that's the chaotic view. So in a world like that, Paul comes along. And remember, the Word of God is inspired of God, and it's eternally true. And in the world of truth, Paul comes along around uh, 63, 64 AD, and he writes Timothy a letter. He's coaching Timothy on how to be a pastor. He's mentoring him. He writes his last letter before he's executed by Nero in 64 AD. And he tells this young pastor how to be a pastor. And what he tells this young pastor, that other pastor south of us should probably read this. But that pastor shelved the Bible, doesn't need it. No, they need it. Because what Paul says here is what you should do in a culture that denies truth. So how should I function in a culture that believes in the coherence view of truth? Here's what Paul says, main idea. If you miss this, I can't help you. What's he talk about? We can go to the next slide now. What does he say? In light of, the, of Christ's coming, because he is coming back, you know. Uh, we should do what as Christians? Speak and live truth. Speak truth and live it, no matter what they say, no matter what happens, no matter if they de-platform me, de-Twitter me, whatever they do to me, what am I supposed to do? Speak truth in love and live it. So how he's going to validate this is Paul's like a, it's fun studying Paul. We've been studying 1 John. John is a 90-something-year-old man who just kind of meanders around like a 90-year-old man as he talks. So that's a little bit more difficult book to, to study, 1 John. Uh, Paul's a little more like, I'm, I'm following an attorney. Our attorney's great. God bless them. We have a church full of them. Systematic, organized in their thinking, moving to their, to their goal, what they want to prove. This is Paul. What, what should I do as a Christian? Well, I should speak truth and live truth. He's going to validate his point in three movements. Number one, he's going to tell you about the revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ should be highly motivational. If you truly believe that his coming is imminent, meaning nothing else needs to be fulfilled prophetically for him to appear, if you truly believe that the judge, Jesus, is at the door, that should radically change how you live today. Did you hear me? It should change you. It means it should make you think differently. So what does he say in verse 1? He's talking to Timothy, the pastor, before he's executed, and he says, and let me give you some commands. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing. We'll stop right there. This is the revelation. Now, there, uh, you can't see it in the English text, but in the Greek text is, is a word uh, in this clause. It's the second word in the Greek text, not translated in our translations. And I don't know really why, because uh, it should have been translated. It's the word un, like O-U-N, uh, how it transliterates. And that means, therefore. So if you take that sentence and that before the letter I, you put the word therefore, what's he doing? He's summarizing an argument. Remember, there's no chapters and verses in the Greek text, of the original text. Those were added later so we could follow along a little easier. So if he has the word therefore there, he's telling you, I'm summarizing what I have just been saying. Well, what has he just been saying? Uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Notice what he says in chapter 3, verse 16, before chapter 4, verse 1. He says, all scripture is what? Inspired by who? God. What's it, what's it good for? Mm, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for sin or sin, for correction, for the training in righteousness. 
For what purpose? Here's the purpose clause. That the man of God or woman of God may be what? Adequate, equipped for every good work. So you ha <laughs> the pastor who puts this on the shelf says, I don't need this, is not fulfilling the mandate to equip people to be adequate in their walk with God, to know how to walk with Him and live righteously. This is the standard of measurement. I mean, as I've said before, I mean, imagine the guy redoing your kitchen and he hangs your cabinets without a laser level. And you walk in there and you're like, what are you doing? Man, I'm just going to eyeball this. <laughs> and you're going to eyeball it? Are you serious? No, I've done it a lot of times. Right. What do you want the laser level for? Well, once you turn it on, on the little tripod, it tells you where everything is it's straight. And you can eyeball it and go, well, it looked like it was straight, but whoa, this is great. And, and construction guys always talk like that. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of like that. It's like laying it out. All scripture is the, is the measurement of what is truth. So why would a pastor need the Bible? Well, it's, it's the essence of truth. It's the laser level. It's all inspired of God, which means it's his breath. That's the word in the Greek. It's his very breath. When you speak, air comes out. So he says, all scripture is the very breath of God. So since God is by definition true and the essence of truth uh, you would want to use his word because it is the essence of perfection. So why would you want to be a pastor and not use it? No, you wouldn't want to use it. Why would you be a Christian and not read it? No, you would want to read it because it's going to train you how to live a righteous life. So he says, I'm going to solemnly charge you, Timothy. And the Greek word for solemnly charge you uh, is a wedding of a preposition uh, with a verb. And when I've told you before, I'll tell you again, or if you're new this Sunday, we do analyze grammar because it's inspired. When you wed a preposition to a Greek verb, you intensify the meaning. So when he says to him, I solemnly witness, that's what it says in the Greek, he's telling you, boy, I super do it. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, like a court of law word that is used here. And he says, when I give testimony, what I'm going to say, I have two witnesses. And who are Paul's witnesses to the truth of what he's going to say? Two people are mentioned, uh, the Father and the Son. And of course, since the Trinity's united, the, the Spirit, he says, they bear witness that what I'm going to tell you is how you should live in the culture in which you are, are engaged. What are you supposed to do? Well, he said, first, first uh, bear in mind, Jesus, the Christ, is coming back. It says uh, he's going to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to judge. And we know from Scripture, he's going he's to judge in two, two, two times. He's going to judge believers at the judgment seat of Christ at the rapture, and then at the end of the seven-year tribulation, he's going to judge all the lost of all time at the great white throne judgment. For the Christian, he evaluates how well did you run the Christian race. That's 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5.10. How well did you run the race? Not whether you should get into heaven or not. That's a done deal based on your faith. But how well did you serve me on the planet before I arrived? Uh, John chapter 5, verse 22. What does Jesus say? For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to who? The Son. Uh, he says in Matthew 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man, which is just a code word for Jesus, uh, is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and when He shows up, what's He going to do? He's going to recommend every man according to His deeds. This is lex talionis. What goes around comes around. Right? Uh, you rejected Him, He will reject you. But if you are a saint, He's going to come evaluate you on how well you run. The older I get, the more I think about this. That I, what I do is serious business to me because it's a calling of God to shepherd a church and teach the Word of God. Uh, first, James, uh, James chapter 3 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur stricter judgment. 
That's a scary thing. So I know one day I have to stand before him and he's going he's to know how much time I spent in quiet time, how much time I gave to exegetical analysis, how much theology I actually studied. He, he knows what I do. And that pastor south of us who's put the Bible on the shelf, that's going to be an interesting judgment. Because the very book that that pastor doesn't think is important is going to be the very premise by which they're going to be judged. I have to ask you, uh, if you teach the Word of God, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a mom teaching your kids, a, a, a husband teaching your family, or whatever your situation is for teaching the Word of God, are you prepared to stand before Christ and say, I did it right? I did it right. Or are you kind of taking a hard gulp right now and going, I ain't ready right yet. I, 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 need, to get, I need to get my act together. See, the Lord's going to judge how every shepherd handled the Word of God. I was mentoring a young pastor out in California uh, over the, I don't know, he's, he's now uh, gone from this church, but so when I'd go out to see my family, I'd meet with him and talk to him and kind of coach him on preaching and things like that. And so I asked him one, one summer, you know, how, how's your preaching schedule going? It's going great. Well, like, tell me what you've been doing. He goes, I just preached through Hebrews. Hmm, cool. Um, how long was that series? Five weeks. Excuse me? Five, huh? Five weeks. He goes, what's wrong with five weeks? He goes, what would you have done? <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say? Five weeks? Yeah, I told him five weeks would be the intro. The intro. You know, not that he was not teaching truth, but it's like he taught truth, but not in depth. So sometimes you have to teach the truth in depth to, to grow the saint. Uh, but such is our culture, uh, confused. And, and a lot of Christians aren't paying, the, uh, fact of the, uh, paying mindful to the fact that the Lord is coming back. And he will come back in judgment to judge. Uh, and so you need to be doing your job with what he called you to do. Um, when he says here, he, he's coming, his appearing. Uh, epiphania is the word. Epiphany is how we translate it, his appearing. And that word was used when a Caesar would become Caesar and take the throne. That was called his epiphany, his appearance. When the Caesar would come to town, when he was coming, they would tell the people of the town, there's going to be an epiphany, an epiphania. Who, what'd that mean? Caesar's coming, which means you better sweep the streets. You better clean everything. You better pull weeds. I mean, everything better be, let's put it in that vernacular. If you knew I, as a former landscaper, was coming over, <laughs> what would you do? You know what I'm saying? You would think, well, like, I'm keeping the garage door down because it's not organized. And I got a few, well, there's some weeds in the yard. We've got to kill those, honey, before the pastor shows up. But I'm just a pastor. Imagine it was Jesus showing up. But it's like Caesar shows up. And the whole town would get ready for Caesar. So Paul says to Timothy, always keep in mind that there's going to be an epiphany of Jesus. And always be ready as a pastor to give account that, yes, Lord, I stood well when truth was concerned. What does our culture want us to do? Cave, waffle, acquiesce rationalize. Uh, such is not me. Why? I'm under divine mandate to teach truth. Point two, uh, he says there's a rule. Verse two, he says, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season to do what? Reprove, re exhort, or rebuke and exhort. Uh, do it with great patience and instruction. Um, the word to preach is the word in the Greek text, keruzo. Uh, and keruzo means uh, uh, to uh, proclaim uh, a, a message of victory. Uh, you're, you're like someone that stands in the city square and says, uh, our general just won the battle, you know, and all the people need to know. It's, it's a great statement. It's, it's proclaiming something. Uh, and what he's telling Peter here, and, th and this is a command, by the way, it's not a suggestion. 
He's saying you as a pastor should be all about proclaiming the word of God. Proclaim it. Publicly. Not being afraid. He also says uh, preach the word. Now, that's not a word. It's a definitive article. The word. What's that mean? It's definite. It can be classified in different ways in Greek grammar. Uh, all of them point to the fact that it's the one and only word of God. So, this is called the par excellence use of the Greek definite article. It's not a word of many words of religious nature. No, it's the word. There's no book like the Bible. And by the way, it's a whole other Bible study, but what makes the Bible unique than any other holy book? Well, the prophetic value of it is astounding. It is so exact and precise. I've studied it. The only way that precision could be known is for God, who's outside of time and space, told the prophets. And I've read the other holy books. They don't do this. And so he says, I want you to preach the word, not a word. Uh, when he says the word, this is called an anaphoric use of the article as well, which means previous reference, which means if you looked at that particular grammatical construction for the word and you ask yourself, does it appear anywhere else in the book in question? The answer is, yeah. Chapter 2, verse 15. Notice how he uses it. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, speaking to Christians, as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately what? The word of truth. He's already talked about this. Uh, this is, by the way, I don't think I've ever told you this. This is my life verse since I was a kid. That's what I've wrapped my whole life around, that I want to be somebody who studies the Word of God so that when the Lord shows up, He says, boy, you knew the Word, you lived the Word, and you taught the Word. Because I'm only looking to hear two words from Jesus. Well then, I don't want to hear, look, could we talk? <laughs> or I don't want to hear, oh, it's Him. Or ha oh, no! I want to hear. Well done, Marty. Don't you? Don't you? And so Paul is stating, teach the word, and I've told you about the word. He says it's the word of truth. Now, what's missing in the English text is before the word truth is the word the, but they leave it out to smooth the sentence out for you to read it. But in the Greek text, it reads because you can see it right here. I'll just I'll show it to you, my clicker, because I know you're probably not reading it. Uh, the word the aletheos truth. The word, the truth. He's, they said the two times. Why? He's, he's making an emphatic what you're supposed to preach about. The word like no other word. And it is the truth like no other truth. This is the essence of truth. Teach it. And the Bible answers all the great questions of life if you study the truth of it. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there? God spoke it. And it was. Uh, why, are, why are humans only on one planet? Did you hear who you watched yesterday talk? Well, God made this planet just specifically for us because He loves us so much. He made us a great planet, didn't He? Uh, what is man's problem? Sin. Where'd it come from? What's the solution? Can man fix himself? Etc. All the great questions. There's many. I, I wrote many in my notes. You can read them tomorrow. But the Bible answers those questions because it is the truth. It's the Word of God. Uh, what is truth? Well, Dr. Norman Geiser, when I was uh, studying under him at Dallas Seminary back in 1981, and then again at uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, he defines truth this way. He says, truth, truth is transcultural. If something is true, it's true for all people in all places at all times. That's true, huh? And he says, truth is unchanging, even though our beliefs about it change. So if you teach geometry, all those theorems, they're true at all times, aren't they? They don't change from class to class. Well, I don't know how you figured out an isosceles triangle, but we did it this way in our class. Huh? 
No, true is true. Uh, beliefs cannot change a fact, no matter how sincerely they are held. Uh, he says, truth is not affected by the attitude of the one professing it. He says, all truths are absolute truths. And then he summarizes and then says, in short, contrary beliefs are possible. Contrary truths are not possible. People believe all kinds of stuff. Uh, like, the chairs aren't here. Contrary to facts, doesn't match the truth. You can believe that as passionately as you want to. It doesn't change the fact that the chairs are there because it corresponds to the facts. So the scripture is an amazing thing to study. I've studied it all of my life. Um, what have I found it to be? Uh, Psalm 19, 119 verse 24. It is a perfect counselor. It counsels me. Uh, Jeremiah 5, 14. It devours like fire the chaff of sin in my life and in your life. Uh, Psalm 19, 9 and 10. It's like finding spiritual gold. I, I, it amazes me every time I open and read it. I find things and it's like, man, God, that's a nugget. Uh, Psalm 119.10, it's a bright lamp for the dark path of life. And I've had to use it many times when I've lost friends. God, why in the world did you take my friend? And God says, let me give you a word from the word. It's a mirror according to James chapter 1 verses 23 to 25 that can show you you. Why don't people like to read it? Because you see yourself. But that's a good thing. Because it then shows you what you need to confess. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, it's like meat for the soul. It's for an older Christian, it's like a steak to chew on. Uh, it also talks in, in the book of Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, how the, how the Word of God is, it, it's, like, it's like milk for a baby Christian. Because they, they're not going to get into eschatology right away. They, they want to study the basic stuff. How do I know I'm saved? Simple stuff. But the Word of God is, is, is there to teach, and it's, it's there to teach because it's absolute truth, and it will change you when you are in, uh, pursuing it into the likeness of God. When am I supposed to then stand up and preach it? What does Paul say? Preach it, be ready when? When the season's right, and when the season's not right. So when they asked me years ago to, to, to preach for the National Day of Prayer at the Pentagon, and I said, yes, I'll do that, that was in season, oh yeah, I'll preach there. I'll preach the Word of God. And I went and talked about the value of prayer in the life of Nehemiah. And a great time. But there's other places I've been in that it's not, it's not simple. Like when I was in college working on a longshoreman dock, and I'm the only Christian on the dock. I'm the only guy not popping pills and smoking pot and doing drugs all day, because they all did. There I was. When they walk up to me and say, hey man, you're a little different than us. What's up with you? Oh, nothing. <laughs> That's my opportunity to do what? Preach the word. So I preach, I proclaim the word. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And because he's my Lord and Savior, there's things I don't do to my temple. Like, whoa, man, it's heavy. The guy's a Christian over here, etc. But that's not, a, that's, that, that's not a seasonable time to, to speak, but it's a perfect time to speak because I'm under mandate no matter what. Speak. Speak. Do you? Will you? That's the question. What are we supposed to do when we uh, use this divine book? He gives you a couple of imperatives. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to do what? Repu reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And then he tells you how to do it with great patience and instruction. Reprove. What does that mean? Well, somebody's out of line. You have children? Can you get through a week without doing this? Probably not. They're going to step out of line. You're going to come alongside them because you love them and you're going to tell them, I got to reprove you, right? Um, reprove. Somebody's doing something wrong. You love them enough to come alongside them. I mean, you think about uh, uh, Peter and Paul. They loved each other, but they had their issues, you know? Uh, and there was a time when uh, Peter, uh, he would sit down and eat with Gentiles food sacrificed to idols. 
Man, I'm loving my freedom in Jesus. And then if we get together with Jews, I would never touch food offered to idols. What'd Paul do? Oh, it's okay, you're a hypocrite. No, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul took Peter to task. When he took him to task, he said, brother, you're living inconsistently. That's called reproof. Is it fun to be reproved? Oh, yeah, people live for it. <laughs> no, but it makes them more like Christ when they're obedient to that. Rebuke. Um, powerful word. Uh, it means to, it, it literally means of a bone that has been broken. If you have a broken bone, you need someone to fix it. I mean, I broke my kneecap wrestling when I was younger. Not fun. Guy threw me off the mat. I landed on the wood gym floor. Boom, there it went. Um, now that leg doesn't fold if I watch TV too long on a, on a coffee table with my leg outstretched. It happens as you get older. All your former injuries come back to haunt you. Uh, but, but it's an illustration of biblical concepts of rebuke. Because if the bone is messed up, you need a doctor to kind of come fix it. So if you're messed up spiritually, and he's talking to Christians primarily here, you see that something's wrong in your wife's life, your husband's life, your child's life, a brother in Christ's life. You have to love them enough to come along and say, hey, I've got to rebuke you for that. That's not right. You love them enough to tell them so they can reset the bone, as it were, and get on with things. And then he says you also, on a positive note, need to sometimes exhort people. The word parakaleo uh, is a really nice term. Uh, it means to come along some, like, it, well, para means to, to be beside something. Uh, and uh, parakaleo means to call. So you're calling somebody alongside you. So if you're playing sports, which I used to play baseball, and you're taking too big of a lead on first, and you constantly get picked off, the coach is going to talk to you. <laughs> Trust me. You're going to walk into the dugout, and he's put his arm around you, and he's going to go, uh, can we talk for a few months? Don't take a 20-foot lead off of first base. And like, oh, thanks, Lord. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Coach, uh, for the exhortation. I know you love me. Uh, I, you know, I, I won't do that again. That's what you do. And you do that with Christian brothers and sisters. Yeah, you tell them, Lord, I love you enough to do the parakaleo thing, call you alongside me. Be ready to do that. It isn't season and out of season. And he says you must do it with great patience and instruction. Don't you like the word patience? <laughs> it's a thing Christians never pray for. Because even though they don't believe that God answers prayer quickly, they do about that one. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> I fell for that once asking God to give me patience. Happened within one minute. You know, why do you need great patience? Because Christians can become great sinners. And they do it over and over again. You got to be patient. Because you tell a child, don't do that, honey. Don't do that again. And they do it again. Is, is your parenting over? Oh, no. You have just begun. Which is why when two people are having a hard marriage and they say they want to have a child to make their marriage so much better, we need to talk. Anyway, moving on. The last thing he says is be ready to do that with the scriptures, but he gives you the reason why. Verse 3, for the time will come when they, the world and the church, will not endure sound doctrine. What are they going to want? Their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. Translated, don't bother me with the Bible. In fact, if you bother me with the Bible, I will go ballistic. I will go apoplectic. I will deplatform you. I will take you off my Twitter. Thing. I, no more Instagrams from you. I mean, I, I will not listen to a thing you have to say. I can listen to anything else in the culture, but I can't listen to anything that smacks of the Bible. You have this happen to you? I have. Uh, and he says, the time will come. Now, there's two words for time in Greek. There's kairos and chronos. Chronos means chronological time. And it is now time for my sermon to stop chronologically. But I'm on kairos time. Because <laughs> kairos is the kind of time. 
So Paul says, there's going to come an unusual time in world history, he's prophesying here, when people will by and large walk away from logical correspondence view of truth, biblical truth, and believe all kinds of bizarre stuff. Are we there? Oh yeah, we're there. And it says they accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. The Greek word for accumulate means to amass more than you possibly need. I need to ask you a personal question. How many purses does a woman need? <laughs> Nobody said anything. One more. One more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. How many, how many tennis shoes does a man need? Why are you so quiet? It means you, to accumulate means you, you got more than you possibly need. What will these people do? When they don't want to listen to truth, will they have to surround themselves with people who don't believe in truth so they feel like they're following truth? There's nothing better than a whole bunch of sinners who've rationalized their sin and formed a group. Oh man, we kumbaya, man. We all feel like we belong with each other. But you guys aren't following truth, but our truth coheres. No, but it doesn't match reality. Such is the world in which we live. They form groups to rationalize their sin. Uh, Dr. Robert Riley says, when we rationalize, we convince ourselves that heretofore forbidden desires are permissible. In our minds, we replace the reality of the moral order with which desire should be subordinated with something more compatible and with activity we are executing. Moral, habitual moral fa fa failure, however, can be lived only by obliterating a conscience through a more permanent rationalization. That's what your culture is doing, forming little groups that we all believe these things that don't match reality. Why? To silence our conscience, which is telling us that's sinful. What is your job as a Christian? Speak truth. Speak truth. Tell them the truth. Uh, I'll give you one illustration of where to speak the truth. Uh, they're pushing for the Respect for Marriage Act. It's a misnomer. It's a lie. It should be called the Disrespect for Marriage Act. Why? They're asking a Christian to accept any and every form of marriage combination you could ever dream up in your lifetime. I don't know. When I read the Word of God, the truth, what's it tell me? God created a man, a literal man, and a literal woman, and God, well, he, he married him, a literal man and a literal woman. What is marriage? It's that. Anything that deviates from that model is not God's model, and that's not His blessing. See, they're asking us to embrace a lie. What are we supposed to be doing? Parakaleo, uh, can I come alongside you and just show you what does God say about marriage? What does He say? We are to speak truth, not lies. What's the road if you choose this? Verse 5, Paul says, if you choose to teach truth, live truth, he says, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. He gave the pastor four commands. Be sober, which means pay attention, have a clear mind. Don't be distracted by the things of the world. Study and know what you're talking about. Uh, endure hardship, why? Because if you teach truth, you'll have to endure hardship because they will persecute you. Do the work of an evangelist, take your apologetics, show them there's a God who died for them, and then move them to the cross and present to them Jesus. And then he says, fulfill your ministry, which means, really that's a code word for, in the Greek text, for everything he just said. Your ministry involves everything God's called you to do. What kind of Christian are you? Uh, one that studies truth and stands for truth? Uh, that's the kind of man I am. 
that's the kind of man I want to always be until God calls me home and I can hear those two words from him, well done. Might you hear those two words? Might we be a church that teaches truth? So my challenge to you as you leave today, as a Christian, if you're a Christian, is to say, Lord, here I am. I will stand with you and teach truth. If you're not a Christian, well, then the Lord Jesus, who is truth, well, he's waiting for you to trust him as the Lord of all truth. He will save you. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for the word of God. It's clarity. Uh, it is not always easy to hear, but it's always good to hear because it's food for the soul and we know it's right. Align our lives with it. May we be very wise in how we evaluate what we hear to guide people toward that which is spiritually true, morally true, and factually true. May we be a great catalyst to that and uh, bless us as we do that. Uh, protect us from our adversary and may we do much for you as your people. And for those in our church that don't know you, uh, might this become the day they come to know the Christ, uh, the true God of all gods. In Christ's name, amen.